You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you four messages Craig Massey presented at the Winona Lake Bible Conference in 1983. Craig Massey was a pastor, counselor, and former radio host on Adventures in Family Living. Now, here's Craig Massey on Today in the Word radio. I said yesterday that I was going to begin a message and it was going to end Friday. Yesterday, I asked whether you men appreciated femininity. I didn't have time to share all I wanted to share about that, but my mother died last November. Prior to that, upon an occasion, we had a sort of family reunion. And all of a sudden, there was my mother, there was my wife, there was my daughter, and there was my granddaughter. And it hit me that their femininity did a lot of things for me. My mother made me a son. My wife made me a husband. My daughter made me a father. My granddaughter made me a grandfather. Now, femininity to a man comes in many dimensions, and it fills an incredible variety of vacuums that we men have. Because without women, as God said when he saw Adam, it's not good. And so God created Adam for a helpmeet. Now, that was on a marriage basis. But then, as the dimensions expanded, femininity also expanded. Now, yesterday, somebody challenged me afterwards and said, aren't you awfully hard on Christian men? Uh, I am not hard or easy on Christian men. I am a Christian man. I am not hard or easy on Christian men. I think God tells us what we ought to do with the women around us. Now, hear this, and if it seems harsh, so be it. God said that if a man troubles his own house, he will inherit the wind. And your wife is part of your house. And if you don't treat her properly, you will inherit the wind. We're also told by the Apostle Paul, that's Proverbs, the Apostle Paul said very clearly that if a man does not provide for his own household, he is worse than an infidel. I didn't say it. So, sir, your wife is included in your household along with your children. And if you are reprobate, if you neglect your wife and your children, you are worse than an infidel. I did not say it. God said it. So if there's any harshness or any responsibility placed upon men, it is not I who does this. It is the Lord God Almighty. Now, I know in our country we can pursue happiness all we want, and man has managed to do that to the nth degree. You know, if I were writing um, some sort of an edict for men, I would say that one of the joys of life is pursuing responsibility. Responsibility. To respond, have the ability to respond to the needs of our family. But there's more. If you think that those things are difficult to fulfill by man, think this, that Peter wrote, that if a husband does not live with his wife according to knowledge, his prayers will be cut off. Not strong language. So, sir, if you're vacillating, if you're not fulfilling the requirements of masculinity in relationship to your wife and family, you are sinful. Because, I'll tell you, 
God has said that. He said many other things. But he said that if you do not have a wife who is content and joyful in your presence, if you don't treat her the way the Lord expects you to, your prayers will be cut off and you shouldn't even take up the offering. You shouldn't work at all in Christian service if your prayers are cut off or hindered. So be it. So men, rise to the occasion. Our women need us. I am glad, I am thrilled absolutely with the responsibility of masculinity as it extends to my wife and my children and uh, when I was pastor, the ministry to the women. All right, now we go a little further. Yesterday we ended with an illustration of sometimes the difficulties of adjustment in young people when they come together. Now, back in the old days they wrote stories and the prince and the princess married and they lived happily ever after. Why didn't they ever take up the story after the wedding? Well, because even then they were evasive as to marriage joy. And yet God calls marriage a pleasure, a satisfaction, and a delight. But is it? We do not train our young people to be husbands and wives. We just do not train them. We give them a few dollars, they can go out and buy a license and plunge into oblivion. And the adjustments, uh, the illustration yesterday uh, is almost an oversimplification. And yet uh, they marry as strangers. You see, I emphasize, and I want to emphasize again, the necessity for young people to become friends first and then to develop that friendship into a marriage relationship which is electrifying and marvelous. Now, I gave you my definition of love yesterday. Now what I'd like to do is share another dimension of that. And I was wondering uh, some time ago when I was studying for uh, various series and my uh, Adventures in Family Living uh, seminars, I thought there must be more to love, at least than I had seen, in relationship to a biblical description. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that the Song of Solomon gives us, and I believe the Song of Solomon is the handbook on marriage, incidentally. And I believe that in that book we find an incredible dimension of love. What is love? According to the Song of Solomon, love is food. Food. Now I'm going to go over very quickly some of the uh, parallels or illustrations that God gives in relationship to love being food. Now we find the girl saying, I'm sick of love, cover me with apples. Now in our language that is rather ambiguous, is it not? But actually the word apple means fruit and love fruit. There was this element of symbolism in fruit. And the girl was saying, "Uh, cover me with love. When she said, I'm sick of love, she said, I'm overwhelmed with it. Now this girl was responding to her man. Now all the way through the Song of Solomon you find these health foods that are symbols of love. We mention apples, which are not our apples at all, but uh, fruit of a tree, figs, grapes, raisin cakes, an orchard of fruits, an orchard of nut trees, pomegranates, spices, and honeycomb. Now you see, In my masculinity, I have an insatiable appetite for femininity. If I have from Louise all the femininity that she can give me in one particular day, I wake up the next morning, or I may wake up in the middle of the night with the same uh, vacuum that existed before. In other words, femininity is like eating habits. We have to eat every day. 
And so femininity is something a man eats and masculinity is something a woman eats. These are just a few of the descriptions. If we got into this, as I would love to do, we could take an hour on it and see the symbolism in the different colors of these fruits because love is very varied. Uh, Love has a variety that is incredible. The problem, you see, is that after marriage in our culture, it's almost like uh, a finality. It's almost like dropping off the edge of the cliff instead of seeing it as a vast new opportunity to expand. Now, there's many aspects of love. And a question I ask my counselees often, is romance still in your life? Now, romance in the Song of Solomon is a paramount approach. And, and you find the man saying, rise, my love, and come away with me. Uh, how, how do you say, honey, let's go? All right, babe, come on, let's go. What if you said to your wife, arise, my love, and come away with me? (laughs) Or if you called her up on Tuesday and said, I've been watching you. On Friday night, I have a free evening, and I would love to take you out. Your wife would probably squeal, who is this? Who is this? (laughs) You should be so shocked to think that you could be a little romantic. The average husband, well, if you want to go out, go make the reservation, get a babysitter. Oh, I don't have, the wife can say, I don't have anything to wear. Well, all the husband has to do is say, honey, I have a gift certificate down at the store. Go. But you see, we men have forgotten the romantic element. And, and as soon as romance, and don't forget that's subjective to love. Love is not subjective to romance. You see, I have to state this again very clearly, and I have so much to cover. But love is a decision. You see, I had a young couple, I just want to mention this, I had a young couple come into my study after about six months of marriage, and I had counseled them in detail. And the fellow came in with his wife and said, you know, Pastor, I'm so glad you told me that love wasn't a feeling. He said, when we were going together, as soon as we started, I had mentioned I do not like raw onions. And his wife was there, and she's laughing. And he said, but as soon as the wedding took place, she went right back to raw onions. And he said, uh, before we were married, I did not know she had post-nasal drip. And she said, he said, as soon as she lies down, she sounds like John Phillips uh, Sousa's band. And he said, not only that, her hair is beautiful, is lustrous black hair. But he said, if it goes without washing for two, two days, it's like oily rope. Well, this isn't a Sunday morning. He's in my study at Des Plaines. And he said, I woke up yesterday morning. And he said, I leaned to my elbow and looked at my wife. She'd eaten onions the night before. He said, the whole room was just absolutely filled with this onion odor. He said, her mouth was open. She was making all these queer kinds of sounds. She had not washed her hair in a week, and her hair was like greasy rope spilled over the pillow. He said, I just leaned there, watched her for about 10 minutes, wondered, do I love this? Is this was what I was excited about? And he said, you know, you used to tell, if you're, whoever wakes up first, kiss the other one awake and don't scream, it's time to get up. He said, well, I leaned over and kissed those onion breath." Lips and so, and he said, It's good to know that love is a decision. You see, you decide to love. And just look at this tremendous physique in front of you now. I mean, just look at it. It's, gravity is taking its toll. And it, I weigh just about the same as I did when I played football, but it's all going downhill. And if I live long enough, it'll be around my ankles. And what am I saying? Hey, if you love because you're pretty or your mate is pretty or handsome, as I was in my youth, oh, yeah. But the point is, it does not last. So love has to be a decision. All right. Now, not only is love a food to be eaten by man and by woman, but also it's a drink. 
The Lord tells us that love is like water, like wine, like milk, and like honey. So we drink love. Then we go on and we find that love is a perfume. Now, what a magnificent setting. Here in our femininity and masculinity, in the exchange and privilege of marriage, the celebration of love intellectually, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and the sharing of this love until it matures and gets synchronized, and it takes years to do that, you don't walk away from a problem. You, you love problems because you can solve them. Now, as I said yesterday, Jesus Christ washed the church with his words. A husband is to wash his wife's emotions and her intellect and her spiritual life with his words. All right, now, here we have the setting. Good food, good drink, perfume, the fragrance of the room. And because you see the husband, the wife said, he took me into the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. I took her out, but everybody knew that over her was this invisible, colorful, spectacular banner. I love this woman. There's not a woman in the world that doesn't want that. And those of you who have lost your husbands, I, I believe that God gives you the privilege of memory to remember back to those pleasant excursions you had into love with your husband and the various ramifications of our definition. Now, what would make this meal perfect? Well, we have it right to begin with. The Song of Songs. And then you go on, you're reading the Song of Solomon. The time of the singing of birds is at hand. It doesn't have to be springtime for the love of a couple. It doesn't have to be springtime. It can be any time. And you, sir, can electrify your wife. In fact, this girl in the Song of Solomon, I think, is so exquisite. I want to meet her uh, when I get to heaven. But uh, she said in one occasion, after they had gotten their adjustments all fixed, and don't forget there have to be adjustments in marriage, that she said, behold, the voice of my beloved, skipping upon the mountains, leaping upon the hills. Now, what was she saying? Was his voice jumping from Mount, was he a Swiss yodeler? No, but his voice gave her excitement, leaping. Leaping and skipping are words of excitement, and they were within her. So this man excited this girl. Why not? It's God's provision in this period of our eternal life in which to enjoy the opposite sex to the fullest extent. There'll never be a relationship like this after death. Now, in this sequence, we find that the fourth chapter of the Song of Solomon, and I would like you to turn to that if you would, please, uh, Song of Solomon 4. If you want a description of femininity, this is it. Here is what a man wants from you. Are you women willing to take a little test just to sort of get your ballpoint out and go down and we'll see the symbolism. We can't exhaust it, of course, because of the time element. But let's look and see how you measure up as a woman. Now, I want to say to you singles, remember this, that femininity and masculinity are exchanged in fellowship, in friendship, and in many other relationships outside of marriage. I never had a sister, I missed that experience, but I've already shared mother, and of course we're talking primarily about husband and wife, but uh, father, grandfather, friend, brother to a sister. So there are many ramifications here, and so you women, whether you're married or not, should have these qualities with the exception of the sexual crossover. We want to emphasize that. Now, if we outline this uh, chapter, Song of Solomon 4, we'd see the physical attributes that this man enjoyed. We would also see the companionship element, uh, 
We would see the romantic element. We would see the communication element. We would see the feeding element. And then we would see the satisfaction of the man. Now, very briefly, I'm going to touch upon these points. And I'm going to ask you women whether or not you fulfill. Now, tomorrow will be a masculinity. We will look at the dimensions of masculinity. And you wives, um, I would suggest you take copious notes if your husbands are off at work. And then tomorrow night, you just have them spread out uh, at the table and say, here's what I expect from you, honey. And God gives me the privilege of expecting these things. Today, it's femininity. Tomorrow, masculinity. All right, now, the Song of Solomon. We find immediately that he tells the girl that she has dove's eyes. That means that this woman was a peacemaker. Dove is a symbol of peace. Now in Peter, and you have to understand this, dear women, in Peter, God instructs you to have a quiet spirit. What is a quiet spirit? It means that you're a peacemaker. You have to understand that emotionally, you are different than men. You, you have an expression of emotions that we men cannot have. I see it in Louise and it's incredible. I enjoy it. I can only do it vicariously. I can only identify with her insofar as I observe her. But because she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, this extension many times uh, is sheer delight. And so you see, you women have an emotional flexibility that's much easier to fit into a man's pattern than it is for your husband to fit into your pattern sometimes. Have you ever noticed sometimes that in your femininity, you argue with him, you dehumanize him, and, and you're a threat to his masculinity, and what does he do? He lashes out. Every time you ever had an argument in your family, it's because you are saying to your husband, think like a woman, and your husband can't do it. Now, he's over there, just as foolish as you are, screaming, think like a man. Well, as soon as you start thinking like a woman or a man of the opposite sex, you have problems. So you see, this man was saying, honey, I'm glad that when I'm in your presence, there is peace. I only had two pastorates in my ministry. They were very exhausting. I loved the ministry, and I, a day off was frustration to me. And, and to be able to come home and find Louise there, never saying, take off your shoes, I just cleaned the floor, or hang up your clothes. You say, well, what'd you do with them? Well, that's my business, not yours. But the, <laughs> but the point is that Louise was there, and when I entered in to her periphery, into her territory, and her territory was home. Boy, how comfortable it was. And I couldn't have endured unless I had that kind of a wife. Now, uh, do you bring peace to your husband or do you argue with him? You say, of course I argue with him. I have a right, I have a right to argue. Remember this, that communication is a fine art because you see, a word fitly spoken is framed as are apples of gold, oranges in frames of silver. And, and I'd like to get into that, but I can't do it. But you see, dear women, you take the initiative on being of a quiet spirit. You well, that's, that's unfair. No, it isn't, because your husband has far more responsibilities than you do. This should be easy to you. Then we go on. We find the man mentioning the girl's hair being long. It's a symbol of her beauty, her freedom. And I, I hope you women wear your hair not for you, the convenience. Oh, I cut it short because it's a hot summer and I sweat under my neck. I've heard all this. Uh, come on, your husband enjoys your hair. God ordained it that way according to the word of God. Why not fix your hair for him? Well, he just wants it to hang. Let it hang. <laughs> Don't make any fuss about it. Then he also talks about her teeth. 
<laughs> teeth. Teeth. Let's talk about teeth for a minute. Uh, here's a couple been married for about 40 years, and the wife is a little romantic, and she snuggles up to her husband who is not too romantic. She says, honey, um, do you remember when you used to say I love you? So I looked at her and said, so I love you. And then uh, she said, honey, do you remember when you used to steal a kiss? So I kissed her in the lips, or the cheek, I should say. And then she said, oh, honey, do you remember when you used to nibble my ear? And there's no action at all. And so she said again a little louder, honey, do you remember when you used to nibble my ear? And he jumped up and started out of the room. She said, honey, where are you going? And he said, to get my teeth. <laughs> so you see, even in the structure of marriage, there are subtle changes. But this girl's teeth were bright and clean. Uh, th that's good, you see? Respect your women. Oh, take a look at yourself in the mirror. Do you look as though you respect yourself? Look at your, why should your husband want to come up and take you in his arms and hug you and kiss you? And if you're single, why should a man look at you twice? And if, from the physical viewpoint, now this is superficial. This is not the basis. But let's, look, let's face it. Personal appearance is evidence of one's self-esteem. I take polls among men and women, and, and I'm incredibly amazed to find that more than 50% of Christian men and women have no self-esteem at all. Why? I can't believe it. I think sometimes the church does it to you. It gives you such a, such a guilt complex, you give up. And if you can't do something right, you don't do it at all. That isn't what God says. God is a God of grace, and we men ought to be men of grace too. And then we find that this girl's lips, and I'd like to get into that, but her lips were like a thread of scarlet, braided. And oh, there's so much, there's so much symbolism there. But it the, goes on to say that sweet or um, comely is your speech. Now, I claim that in our culture, most of our little girls lose their femininity by the time they're six years old, especially if they have brothers with whom they compete. And so they learn how to scream at little boys, and they learn how to scream at older brothers. And then years later, they do the same thing to their husbands. God tells you, and over and over again, he instructs the woman to have the proper kind of speech. Later on, it says that the man said to his wife, under your tongue, milk and honey. The softness and the wondrous approach to life that a woman can have by the tone of her voice. We were down in Florida, and uh, Friday we're going to be talking about invading each other's territory. And Louise and I are down there at a seminar, and we are having breakfast in this Howard Johnson's. And across from us, about three feet away, man and woman, retired, should have been enjoying life. They ate in absolute silence. Louise and I, usually Louise reads the paper to me because of my eye problem, and we talk. And we have different kinds of communication during different times of the day. In the morning, we talk about our finances and so forth and so on. Then for the rest of the day, that's forgotten. Other things are taken up. But anyway, uh, all of a sudden, I heard this woman snarl. Well, I'm almost done. Hurry up. And then she said, all right, the bill's there. Get out your wallet. So the man took out his wallet and put it on the table. Well, get out the money. This woman, you could not believe the result of how many years they were married. This woman learned how to, he, without a word, he opened up the wallet, took out the money. Well, wait, are you going to leave a tip? Are you going to leave a tip? And we saw this whole episode, incredible, absolutely astonishing. There's no sweetness in that voice. Then she got up. He wasn't finished. He put, dutifully put, never said a word. See, that's what women do to men. They drive them silent. And don't think you can't do it. How many women come to me and say, well, my husband never talks to me. Well, I know why. 
probably in the beginning, the, the woman challenged and criticized. But it, it, that's not the way to do it. Girls, that's not the way to do it. Don't lose your femininity. It's a Christ-given creation. Nurture it. Develop it. Let your husband enjoy it. If he came home dangling three little eight-inch perch, and he stood in the kitchen door with his hat with his hooks in it, his fishing rod, hip boots, and three little fish, what's the average woman say to a husband that stands in the kitchen doorway at 7 o'clock at night after a whole day's fishing? What does the average woman say? Don't come in my kitchen with those filthy things. I'm not going to clean them. My grandfather used fish that size for bait. Where'd you go? Uh, and so the man says, uh-huh. I, I, I tell you, you keep doing it, and, and you're going to be the loser. Now, goes on and talks about the um, uh, wife's uh, forehead being like a pomegranate. And this is exquisite. I, after I read this, I couldn't understand why God emphasized pomegranates. So I had Louise buy me one. An incredible adventure. Uh, divided into five segments. Sensitive, tender, blood red, red seeds. With the pithy part, five divisions. The five, uh, uh, the five senses. Just incredible. You women. Oh, if you only knew your value. But men, have you caused your wife to appreciate you? Do you appreciate your wife to the extent that she knows it? He took me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Later on in this chapter, it says, uh, the husband says to his wife, I see no spot in thee. How dare you men criticize your wives? You know, when Louise makes a mistake, I learned this a couple years ago. When Louise makes a mistake, I stand there clapping and say, hooray, honey, I'm glad you made a mistake. Not in sarcasm. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because when Louise makes a mistake... It just evens the score, and it gives me an opportunity to make mine without criticism. So if Luis does something real dumb, I cheer louder. Good. Oh, honey, that gives me an opportunity to make one. And, and I usually take complete, <laughs> you can guess, complete charge of every opportunity I get. I jump on it for the simple reason that in marriage... Love covers a multitude of sins, and you don't see any faults. That's what this man did with his wife. Then it goes on and talks about um, the wife being like uh, uh, a thousand-man army, all with shields. Speaking, of course, of the relationship of the wife in protecting the home. She's a guardian of the home. And, and that's an interesting word. We don't have the time to get into it. But then we find that until the daybreak and the shadows flee away. There are shadows in marriage. Of course there are. Illnesses, problems, deaths, uh, children with problems, so forth and so on. But now the man says something from my point of view, and that's in verse 8, and I want you to mark these two things. The man says to his wife, come, come with me. Gentlemen, tomorrow we'll get into this, but one of the things you invite your wife to do is to come with you. Come. Then, if you'll notice, a little further down, it says, come and look. Come and look. Come and look. There's marriage. Come and look. Companionship. Come and look with me. Come and look. Let's have an adventure. There are shadows, honey, but let's climb out of the shadows. And then you find that this couple, this man, leads this girl into various mountains. And then if you read this, you find that they have to pass the lion's den. And who is the lion? The lion is no less than Satan, as a roaring lion, wandering about, seeking whom he may attack. Satan is alive, and he's in marriage more today than he has ever been before. But this man has the intelligence to say to his wife, Honey, 
Let's do it together. Come with me. Come with me from Lebanon. Come with me from Shinar. Come with me from Amana. And come with me. Let's pass the lands then. Let's watch him. Let's know that he's there. And then let's climb the mountain of the leopards. Again, a symbol of Satan. And so what is this man saying? This man is saying in essence, honey, let's go have the adventure of marriage together. Let's see the shadows and climb out of them. Let's look at the problems together. Let's communicate. Let's talk about them. Let's be supportive to one another. Let us face the lion and resist him. When we have the little squabbles or differences, let's live above them. Let's prevent them because of our companionship and the God-given privilege of loving to the extent that you don't see. Louise one time said to me in all seriousness, honey, you've put me in a pedestal and I'm not that good. And then somebody came to Louise shortly after that and said, you know, you must be a perfect wife. And Louise said very quietly, I'm not, but I'm very glad my husband thinks so. And I trust your husband thinks you are perfect also. Why, again, dear friends, it's all decision. The adventure, you know, I have only 2% of my sight. Louise is my seeing eye puppy, warm, soft, and comfortable. She is there, always there. Now, you'd think that'd be a burden, but it's not a burden. It has turned out to be an incredible adventure for us because... We're together so much, we just talk and talk and talk and talk. See, there's the key. And uh, Louise and I are now doing a book. Um, and we're very excited about this book, Stress in Marriage, The Killer of Love. And it's on the art of love communication. There are things I can say to Louise I could never legitimately say to any other woman in the world. Even if Louise died and I were left alone and married again, which is unlikely, uh, I could never say to another woman the things I've said to Louise. Because I met Louise when she was 18 both soft and vulnerable kids, wandering Christians. Then when I'm 27 years old, I say to Louise, honey, I'd like to go into Christian service. Louise says, fine. We go off to school, went to Moody, finally, went to school in the East. And the adventure of togetherness, to share the rewards and the failures and the successes, and not to say my children, but our children. Not my book, our book. Not my church, our church. Why? Because this, this uh, system of companionship, so rich and so full. Now, then you get into the romantic area here. And we, I have to be delicate because Christianity doesn't have the intestinal fortitude to handle sex correctly yet. Uh, we have made it a big boogeyman. And anybody that dares be honest for a few moments is going to get cut down by the prudes and those who fold their arms and look for criticism. But all I'd have to say to you folks, why don't you study the Christian doctrine, the biblical doctrine of sexuality? It is a magnificent thing. We're, all, we're here this morning because of the result of an uh, act of a man and a woman. We have two beautiful children. Uh, they have married wonderful people. Both met at Moody, incidentally. And, and better place to meet. And then our grandchildren, who already dedicated themselves to go to Moody. Generation after generation. Why? Because my kids say, my son said to me, Dad, he said, you live a funny kind of a life, but it must work. You're so happy. Well, that's not all bad to hear from a son, is it? Not a bit. Well, here it talks about the girl's two breasts being a symbol of her sexuality. Now, I didn't say that, you see, so you can't criticize me. I'm just quoting scripture. But then it goes on to say about communication. Then the man comes to a marvelous conclusion. He said, I have come into my garden. Now, this garden was femininity, the garden of femininity. And in that garden, 
There's a fountain, a spring, all these delicious, magnificent, marvelous things that this man describes in just an incredible manner. And then he says at the end of this remarkable statement to this girl that he loved, he said, let the north wind blow. Let the south wind blow. Let it hit our marriage. And all will come out of it will be the fragrance of spices. Now, when you have a marital problem, does it affect your kids? Or do you solve the problem? Does the church, you see, your church is no stronger than your marriage. Now, that's a shattering thing. That's why so many churches have so many women, so few men. That's why so many churches are so weak. They never get off the ground. It, it goes right. You see, revival comes as a direct relationship of the men in the church with their wives. Did you know that? You want revival? It's not getting emotional. It's not even having a series of meetings in your church. It's men going home on the way home Sunday morning and parking somewhere and getting it straightened out with the wife and the family. There is spirituality. You are no more spiritual than your relationship with your wife. I'm a little ahead of myself, but I had to throw that in. Now... This incredible girl in the Song of Solomon says, um, and this is just, in, what can I say? This girl is a brilliant girl, led by the Holy Spirit. After her husband talks about the garden, says all these other beautiful things about her, then she says this, let my beloved come into his garden and enjoy his pleasant fruit. Now there's an invitation. Is that you as a woman to your husband? Honey, I'm all yours. I, I, I'm yours 100%. I'm here. Enjoy me. Some of you women almost resent your husband's enjoyment of you. You push him off. You have serious psychological problems with letting your husband really appreciate your femininity. You're not free with it. You're not barefoot in the park with your hair blown in the wind, so to speak. That's a symbol, uh, I, I believe, of femininity with a man. Here is the, the one unrestrained area in, in human life, the relationship with a man, with a woman, uh, brought together by the catalyst of love, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is ordained by the creative power of Jesus Christ to the reproduction of children that will be raised for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God. How I thank God. I'm not boasting. I thank God that our children both came to the conclusion early in life, if you don't work for Christ, you work for nothing. And so the result is that they're working for the Lord. Now, then in 5.1, the, the, the man says, Honey, I've come into my garden, I've eaten my fruit, I've drunk my wine and my milk. See that? <laughs> I have to leave you with something. Here's a man and a woman, been married for quite a few years, all kinds of problems. So this one morning, the wife goes to the husband and says, Honey, you know we always has, we've had problems. We're poor testimony to the church, poor testimony to the kids. Honey, listen, let's pray that God will have one of us die and one of us go to heaven, that will solve the problem. Then after an afterthought, she said, then after that happens, I'm going to Florida to live with mother. <laughs> That's a cop-out. Do you have a problem? Show your femininity. Exercise your masculinity. Let it flow. Talk it out. Talk it out. And you will see that marriage is the loftiest relationship outside of Christ and the believer. And if you aren't a believer, receive Christ and get a spiritual dimension to your marriage. Thank you. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Craig Massey presented at Winona Lake Bible Conference in 1983. Craig Massey was a pastor, counselor, and former radio host on Adventures in Family Living. 
Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. A reminder that Founders Week 2021 runs Tuesday through Friday this week at Moody Bible Institute, and we're excited to present live coverage of the evening general sessions Tuesday through Friday nights this week from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll hear from David Platt, Rodney Maiden, Priscilla Shirer, and close our Founders Week this Friday evening with a message from MBI President Dr. Mark Job. So be sure to join us for Founders Week 2021 by tuning in to your local Moody radio station or going to foundersweek.com. That's foundersweek.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.